are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Here's Nate. Well, at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the people of Israel are at a serious low spiritually. Uh, They are in constant rebellion against the Lord. The priesthood is an absolute mess. Finally, their corrupt priests have been killed directly in battle by the hand of the Lord. The ark has been captured by the Philistines. And so the question is, will the ark return and will the nation revive? And of course, last time we were together in chapter 5, we discovered that the Philistines, although they had captured the ark, God had broken out against them and they knew that they could not keep the ark. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 6 that the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send it to its place. Now, the first line is a quiet line in the sense that we don't really know what else is being mentioned there behind the scenes. It was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. During those seven months, we don't read of any attempts from Israel to fight for the return of the Ark of the Covenant. It doesn't seem to be a priority for the nation. It doesn't seem to be something that they missed. Maybe they had said to themselves, well, hey, listen, we brought the ark into battle and we still lost the battle of what use is it to us? But for some reason, there were seven months where the ark remained there in Philistine territory. And the Philistines finally, you know, they're at this point where God has struck them with these tumors. They know that they don't want to keep the ark in their midst. They want to send it back to its place. So they call together their own priests and their own diviners and ask them, what should we send with the ark back to its place? So this ought to be interesting, seeing what these unconverted pagan worshipers decide as far as how God and his ark should operate. So they said, these Philistine spiritual leaders, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. So this is a very common element in their superstitious techniques and ways, you know, the giving of a gift and a sacrifice and all of that. They do use the phrase guilt offering in verse three, slightly uh, reminiscent perhaps of the guilt offerings that the people of Israel would actually offer to the Lord, but probably more in line with the pagan worship in the surrounding nations. And they said in response, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? You know, what, what thing should we give? What is it? They answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. 
So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Just devotionally, it's good to mention at the very least that so often the things that we think that we should give to God are things that God would not want. Golden tumors, golden mice, these are not the things that would be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Unfortunately, on the day of judgment, there will be people who will, who will offer much less than these things to the Lord. It is only the blood of Christ that satisfies the wrath of God. But now this is interesting because, uh, as I've mentioned before, we don't know exactly what it was that had broken out amongst the Philistines. But you've got the linking of a plague, rats or mice, and tumors. And so, you know, perhaps some kind of plague uh, through an infestation of these mice that was beginning to decimate the countryside and uh, caused the people to experience great sickness. Uh, perhaps that sickness was manifested with these tumors, or as I'd mentioned earlier, perhaps these tumors which were somehow, you know, connected uh, not just to tumors in general, but some versions actually say hemorrhoids because of the actual Hebrew word kind of hints at that being the vicinity of where these tumors would have rested. And so perhaps there's a judgment for their sexual sin, but whatever it was, it was very difficult, very hard, and the people wanted to get rid of this ark as quickly as possible. So they think to themselves, let's put five gold tumors, five gold mice into this cart and bring it back to Israel along with the ark. And perhaps God will have mercy upon us. Just the mind of man working here at its fullest. Why should, verse 6, you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. So they begin to speak now to each other and exhort each other. After he had dealt severely with them, the Egyptians, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there was never, has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it on a, put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes up on the way to its own land to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence." So, you know, this was very uh, a very common way for them to practice divination in that part of the world at that time, where you would basically devise some kind of scheme whereby whatever outcome, you would either get your yes or your no to the question that you were asking. And the question that they were asking here, of course, was, is this the hand of the God of Israel? We've seen Dagon fall down in his temple twice and his arms or hands and his head break off. 
we've seen now in various cities and places that we've been ravaged with tumors and plague connected to these mice. Is this a coincidence? Is this the hand of the God of Israel or not? And so they took these two cows that had never pulled a cart before, took their calves home away from them, uh, which would, you know, make them, you know, perhaps less able to focus on pulling a cart. And you would expect that they would just kind of not really know what to do. But if they made a beeline for Beth Shemesh, then they would know that that had not happened by coincidence, but that God's hand of judgment was upon them. Now, of course, the irony of this whole part of the story is obvious. The Israelites will not obey the Lord. The Philistines will not obey the Lord, but the cows, they will obey the Lord. So the men did so, verse 10, and took two milk cows and yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So uh, an absolute miracle that these two cows, these milk cows, never pulled a cart before, never been yoked in this way before, lowing as they went. They go in a straight direction. They don't turn right. They don't turn left. They head straight for Beth Shemesh, God's territory, the nation of Israel. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, verse 13. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. Been gone for seven months now. They see the ark and these people out there reaping their wheat in the valley, in the middle of the summer, they're celebrating. And the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. So you see a slight revival beginning to occur in Beth Shemesh. Now it wouldn't last with everyone in Beth Shemesh, but at least some of them. They see the ark, they call the Levites, they want to handle this ark delicately. They take the cows and the wood from the cart and they make a fire with that wood and sacrifice these cows upon that fire. They begin to sacrifice sacrifices, give burnt offerings on that day to the Lord. So worship is beginning now to revive in Israel. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, verse 16, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, their main city, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, 
both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So that great stone at the time of the writing of 1 Samuel was still there. You could go there, kind of stood there as a witness of that day, the day that the ark returned to the nation of Israel and revival uh, began to stir amongst God's people. And he struck, verse 19, this being God, some of the men of Beth Shemesh, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned, because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. So as much as there seems to be a little bit of revival that's occurring amongst the nation and the people, the men of Beth Shemesh at this point, there was a downside to all of this in that the Lord killed some of the men of Beth Shemesh. Uh, and the reason being that they had looked inside of the ark of the Lord. Now, God had declared for the Israelites that they were not allowed to touch the ark, let alone look inside of the ark. And, you know, they realized at least some of this because when the ark first showed up, they went and found the Levites and asked the Levites to be the one to handle the ark. Even though the Levites weren't to touch it directly, they were supposed to be the ones who at least handled it in its covered state and transport it according to the ways that God had designed. So here they neglect that requirement from God and some of them get way too comfortable, open up the lid of the ark, the mercy seat to look inside. What would they see inside of the ark? Well, what they would find were the Ten Commandments. The testimony had been placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. And so 70 men of them died that day as a result of opening up the Ark and looking in. In one sense, you could say that they died for their irreverence before the Lord. They were way too comfortable with a holy and righteous God. They weren't understanding that there needed to be blood sacrifice, atoning for their sin, making them righteous in the sight of God. They weren't seeing it. They thought they could cozy on up to this ark. But in another sense, when they lifted the lid, they lifted the mercy seat off of that ark and looked in, they were looking directly at the Ten Commandments. They were looking directly at the law of God. There was nothing in between them and the law. The mercy seat was that thing that was in between them and the law. You remember the law condemned them. They had heard the God. They said, we will keep all that we have heard. We will covenant with God. We will keep this law of God. But of course, they had broken this law time and time again. So when they took that mercy seat off, it's as if this law that condemned them had a direct opportunity to look at them and they to look at it. There was no mercy seat in the way. There was no blood in the way. There was no God between the law that condemned and the people who were condemned. And so they 
began to die at that moment. I think anytime we remove the mercy seat, anytime we remove the gospel, we forget Christ and we begin to add on legalism and works and believe that we're approved and righteous as a result of those works, we are inviting judgment into our lives. Keep that lid on. Don't remove it for others, lest they remove it for you. But you keep the grace of God prevalent and prominent in your words, in your life, in your philosophies, in your ministry. Keep the grace of God, the mercy seat, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Keep him in between you and that law of God. Now, there is a little bit of textual just uh, uncertainty regarding the amount of men who died in Beth Shemesh. Here in verse 19, it tells us 70 men, but there are many manuscripts that say 50,070 men, which is an unusually large number and, you know, is especially just for a town like Beth Shemesh. And so perhaps some have suggested it should read that he slayed 70 men, there being 50,000 men in that region or in that town. So uh, we would tend to think that it was just 70 who died, not 50,000 who died. That doesn't seem to be even possible in that region at that moment in time. Now in chapter 7, now, you've got the ark there in Beth Shemesh. There has been an outbreak now of the wrath of God. And isn't it interesting that the people of God had a stricter judgment uh, passed down upon them regarding their relationship with the ark? You know, the Philistines were getting sick. Some were dying, but the tumors and all of that. But the second the Israelites even looked into the ark, they knew better. Their judgment was swift and real. But in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. These men in Kirjath-Jerim are bold men, brave men, as we'll see at least once more here in the story of 1 Samuel. And here they come and they take the ark of the Lord. They're from a city called the City of Forests. That's what Kirjath-Jerim means. And uh, they honor the ark. They consecrated, verse 1, his son Eliezer, the son of Abinadab, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Uh, they knew how to approach God. They consecrated Eliezer just to keep watch over it, just to preserve it, protect it. The Beth Shemesh guys looked into it, but these men just simply watched over it. And I love this man, Eliezer, consecrated for this particular work, set apart for it, dedicated to it, cleansed from his filth so that he could serve the Lord and the nation in this way. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kirjath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, what, what it appears is being said here is that their spiritual depression continued, lasted a long time, an additional 20 years 
before Samuel really bursts onto the scene and begins to prophetically deal with the nation of Israel. And uh, the reality, though, is that the ark remained at Kirjath-Jerim for about a hundred years. It was David that would be the one who would bring it to Jerusalem in his first year as king over all of Israel. So he served for seven years, but then became the king over all of Israel in his seventh year. And at that time, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. And so, so far now, since Samuel prophesied to Eli in chapter 3, we see a lower profile. He's remained in the background. Now, 20 years later, he returns to the center of the nation. And Samuel said, verse 3, to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel here wanted to make sure that their dedication to the Lord was legitimate, that it was real. He says, if you're really returning to the Lord, if this isn't just a worldly sorrow or a momentary reflection of sorrow that's hit your heart, but if this is real, this is real. And that's what a prophet is concerned with. A real and a genuine work of God amongst God's people. He says, if you're really returning, then this is what you need to do. You need to put away your foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. God is an exclusive God. Now, the gods of the nations around the Israelites were fine with a plurality of deities amongst them. They weren't real. They weren't true gods. But the one real true God will not stand for a polygamous marriage with his people. He wants an exclusive relationship with us. Now, there were two gods in particular that the Israelites had to cast out. The Baals, verse 4, it says, So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. The thing that's so interesting about these two particular gods is that the Ashtaroth was clearly a god of sex and war, and the god of Baal was a fertility deity and came to symbolize prosperity and financial success. So you have the God of money and the God of sex and the people of Israel have embraced these gods. And these gods are all too familiar in our modern era and age. They take different forms. They're called different things. But underneath it all, the perversion of sex and the worship of money, which is in the Bible by God's people, simply supposed to be an instrument in our hands not something to be worshipped or despised, but a simple inanimate instrument that we use for the glory and honor of God and provision of our daily affairs. They were worshipping money. They were worshipping sex. So Samuel said in verse 5, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you, 
So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Mizpah had become a sort of a common assembly place for the nation of Israel. Uh, you see that at the end of the book of Judges, they gathered together to decide what to do about uh, the Levites concubine that had been uh, killed. And uh, they gathered there to anoint Saul as the king of Israel. So it became an important place, kind of a meeting place. And they get together and they say, we have sinned against the Lord. Uh, let me just say this. Throughout history, this has been the attitude of mankind right before God does a wonderful work. When there's an attitude that, yes, we've sinned, we've fallen, we're broken, we need God's forgiveness, you know that God is about to unleash his grace in a wonderful way. Now, verse 7, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Notice the difference here. Rather than superstitiously believing in the ark, they understand that they need blood. They need prayer. They need blood to be shed. Samuel takes a sacrifice offers it as a burnt offering, their understanding, we are guilty, we are sinful, we need the blood of the Lamb to forgive us and cleanse us. Please pray for us that, they that we would have the victory. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines came near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. You remember previously they had shouted before the battle and then subsequently lost. It's so much better to just have the thunder of the Lord behind you. The Lord thunders here declaring in so many ways that he is greater than Baal, greater than the Ashtoreth and wins a great victory for the people of Israel. Then Samuel, verse 12, took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called, it, called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. The, the name Ebenezer means rock of help. And basically what Samuel was doing is saying, you know, God has helped us all the way to this Point. He's expanded our borders. He's been with us up to this point. So kind of the sense would be, hey, listen, we want to continue to see this Ebenezer stone move forward. We want to see God help us into the future. And so the question we would ask is, is my Ebenezer stone moving? Is it advancing as the Lord helps me? So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines had taken 
from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistine, there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Notice that their revival led to victory and freedom. Samuel, verse 15, judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. Very close little towns together, so a small little circuit. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. And really what you have here is a theocracy. Just as God intended, just as God desired. But that would only last for a moment, as we'll see later here in the book of 1 Samuel. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.